In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. Donald Trump has been indicted in Atlanta. We have so many court dockets to follow, but we haven't really seen anything yet. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has covered every moment of this historic case. I've been writing about this investigation for two and a half years. Our team is led by reporters Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman. Follow our coverage on AJC.com and listen to new in-depth episodes of the award-winning podcast, Breakdown, The Trump Indictment, only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Politically Georgia podcast, where we bring you news and analysis of all the latest Georgia shenanigans in Congress and under the gold dome. And today I'm joined by Tamar Hallerman, the AJC's Washington correspondent who has recently pretty much moved to Georgia to cover this final stretch. How are you doing, Tamar? Good. Greetings from Atlanta. Yeah, I'm not with you physically, but I'm also in Atlanta, and this is just a glimpse of the glamorous and glorious life of reporters I spent the morning at Stacey Abrams' campaign headquarters. I'm kind of off the trail today, but I was with Abrams' staff at her headquarters talking with him. And I'll spend the afternoon with Brian Kemp and his uh, half headquarters and his headquarters in Buckhead. So it's one of those days and in between coffee shops and reporting. Exactly. I spent the morning in my second airplane hangar in two days with, uh, with Brian Kemp as he was kicking off his, uh, his final fly-around tour for his last big day of campaigning. And yesterday, both of us were in Macon with Trump as he was campaigning for Kemp as well. So uh, driving all over the state, really logging those miles. Yeah, man, it's a big state. And what an what a interesting final spurt with Obama and Oprah and Pence and Trump. And it's all about base motivation. It's all about getting those core supporters out. You know, they, they've even dropped pretty much all pretense of trying to go after undecided voters, which is why both candidates are so aggressively tying themselves to national party figures that, you know, if they thought this election was, was a different a different strategy would, would, would work, they wouldn't be doing this. But in this case, it's all about base motivation, which is why Trump and Obama are sort of the closing messages for each of the candidates. Especially for Democrats, this is a real change from what we've seen in previous years. Um, you know, we saw a lot of Democrats kind of like Jason Carter, Roy Barnes, who are, who are trying to kind of appeal to the middle. Um, a lot of moderates and maybe pick off some disgruntled Republicans. And so they never wanted to be seen with national figures like Obama. Um, like Michelle Nunn back in 2014 when she was running against David Perdue didn't show up when, when the president came by, kind of irking him apparently. Um, but that is not the case this year. We've seen pretty much every 2020 presidential hopeful come into town to, to campaign with Abrams. And Kemp has been the same way, completely embracing President Trump, Vice President Pence, even though um, they can be pretty polarizing figures with the general public, but but not among Republicans. Exactly. And this is, you know, I'm glad you mentioned that. This is kind of a gamble in a way for, for, for um, Kemp, too. Like, he's a gamble he's gladly willing to stake his chips on. But he has. He's done exactly that. He he is betting that any sort of uh, boost he could get from Trump and from being tied so visibly to Trump 
will over will outweigh any sort of you know negative drag it gives on his campaign to independents, moderates, and whoever you know suburbanites who might not like who might be Republicans but might not like um, how Donald Trump's performance is. And you know we see a little bit of that in our most recent poll. We saw Donald Trump's approval ratings tick up to around 46 percent compared to earlier this year where it was in the high 30s, and even just a few months ago when it was in the low 40s. But his disapproval rating is still around 50 percent, and many of those are independents who 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 just don't like Donald Trump at all. At the same time, though, that poll showed that 91% of Georgia Republicans approved of the job the president was doing. So you can kind of see why he's taking that gamble. Um, You could also see it in Macon yesterday when we were there, the thousands of people um, roaring their approval at everything the president said. Um, And and you can kind of see why almost every elected Republican in the state from, well, I guess from outside Metro Atlanta was there with them. You got it. And so we've kind of ticked off two of the two of the things we wanted to talk about today, Trump effect and base turnout with what to watch in Tuesday's big election. Another big one, and the one that just reared its head again on Sunday, is voting rights and voting suppression. We always had this inevitable clash between Stacey Abrams and Brian Kemp over voting rights and ballot access issues. Those two have been feuding over those issues for more than a decade um, with, with Brian Kemp saying he's following the letter of the law and he's trying to prevent illegal votes, and Stacey Abrams saying his his voting policies are suppressing minority votes, and that as Secretary of State, he cannot oversee the same election that he's running in to be the next governor. Uh, and really, yesterday on Sunday, we saw, um, you know, the the most visible example of this clash when Brian Kemp's office ordered and launched an investigation into what it said was a, a, an attempted voter hack of the state's voter registration records by the state Democratic Party. It offered at first no evidence at all, and then later on Sunday, uh, some scant evidence in the form of, of a few emails. But this was, this was a bombshell dropped in just a few days before the election in, in early November. And I had asked Kemp about it this morning, um, what he makes of um, kind of all the criticism that he's gotten about this action. There's some outside elections experts who have said it's, it's weird that he's putting this out in the public domain so close to an election. It could, you know, it could sow seeds of, of mistrust in, in the voting system. It could make people not want to turn out. And he said, no, 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 I'm doing my job. I would have done this for any cyber vulnerabilities I would have heard of. And he's kind of brushed off any criticism of that, as well as any, um, you know, the push from a lot of Democrats to get him to resign his position while he's been running for governor. You also have Abrams, who's been calling this a winch a witch hunt against the, the Democratic Party, borrowing a phrase that, that Trump uses all the time on his Twitter account. You got it. And there's no denying it. The timing is, is circumspected. You know, whether or not there was a perceived or a legitimate threat, the fact that it came the Sunday before the election um, really fueled the, the, Democrat, the Democratic calls from, from Democrats and other camp critics, um, you know, g- gave more evidence to their calls that he should have resigned as Secretary of State. Um, because if he had resigned, let's say a year ago, you know, a lot of a lot of these not not just this, but a lot of these attacks, he could have inoculated himself from. Now, on the other hand, um, he can also, you know, campaign around Georgia as a elected statewide officer who's saying he's fulfilling his duties that he was elected to do so. It's a, it's a tough debate, um, but one that has certainly exploded into the forefront again, you know, for the 37th time this election, but in the biggest way yet, uh, with these. Sunday, you know, two days before the election, three days before the election claims. 
It's going to be really interesting to see if there is any sort of measurable impact on the votes that we get tomorrow. Um, already 2.1 people have voted early, a record amount. Um, and, and it's unclear if people are going to be staying home because they hear news like this, if they're going to be motivated to maybe switch from Republican to Democrat or maybe to to stick with um, to stick with Kemp. But um, yeah, I mean, it, it certainly throws a bomb into all of this. Yeah, one more thing to mention on that front is that um, the AJC poll that was released just a few days ago, it seems like an attorney ago, uh, revealed that um, there are legitimate concerns from the electorate, not only about you know, the fact that votes can be tampered with and that the election might not be um, you know, a, le- a legitimate election, but also for many Republicans about illegal voters casting ballots. So that just shows you, again, how divisive voting, voting rights and ballot access issues are here in the state of Georgia. Exactly. Um, another issue on our list of things to watch to kind of take a turn back is, is black voters. Um, we, we were talking about uh, getting the base to turn out this election, um, but black voters in particular and turning out minority voters has been a big central point of Stacey Abrams' campaign for governor. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, and this is the magic number for Democrats has long been 30. And that means Democrats have been aiming to make the overall African-American portion of the electorate, the portion of turnout, to, 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 to get to 30 percent. Michelle Nunn in 2014 got pretty close. She got around, she got to around 29 percent. Um, and what Democrats are hoping is that Stacey Abrams, with her historic bid to be the nation's first black female governor and Georgia's first black governor, uh, will help drive out that turnout to at least 30, 31, 32 percent even. And of course, the higher that number gets, the easier Stacey Abrams' path to the election is because 90-plus percent of African-American voters um, support her, her, her bid for governor. What we've seen from early voting numbers is that number is, according to analysts, either 32-ish or maybe even as high as 33 percent of the vote, um, depending on what a- analysis you look at. Um, but that's a very strong starting point coming into Election Day. Um, for Democrats, because Republicans now know that they've got a bigger hurdle. They're trying to, you know, kind of swamp that Abrams vote with a lot of more older, whiter voters who tend to be more conservative, who tend to vote more for Republicans. And so they're hoping a big election day turnout will help swamp that. But, um, she's she's starting from a pretty strong position. Uh, presumably looking at the early voting numbers. Another thing that we're really going to be looking at is, is women in, in general. Um, there, there, of course, is a big gender gap this year, and a lot of that is fueled by President Trump and, and just kind of how divisive he is. Um, but we're also seeing that reflected in the governor's race as well. Um, with Abrams leading women, I believe it's something like 20 percentage points in our, our polls over the last month or so, and and Kemp leading men among, among a, or with a comparable percentage amount. Uh, but if you take a, a dive, a deeper dive into our numbers, though, you see that white women overall are still supportive of Kemp. That's gone down a little bit over the last few weeks, but still it's something like 63% of white women still still support Kemp over Abrams. Um, so it's kind of an interesting number and something we're going to be watching, especially as we, we track the Atlanta suburbs. Yeah, and this is where the race gets really interesting, too, because um, we know the sort of voting patterns and in urban areas and in rural areas, and it's why Stacey Abrams is visiting a lot of these um, more densely populated urban areas in Augusta and Albany and, and elsewhere in Savannah, uh, where her early vote is, was high, but it wasn't as high as, she, as her campaign wanted it to be, but also why Brian Kemp is all over the last week in some of the most rural, deepest red pockets of Georgia. But the suburbs 
is an area where he has not focused nearly as much time. And uh, those are the areas where you could see white women um, bolting from the Republican Party, which, which, which has been a dominant sort of block of, of support um, for the last 10 years or so, to Democrats. And uh, it might be partly because of uh, disaffection to Donald Trump. It might be because of gun control support, um, you know, Second Amendment stances for Stacey Abrams and other Democrats who support more gun restrictions and uh, bans on assault rifles. It might be because of some of the recent shootings. We're not sure why it could be, but what we've definitely seen is that support for, for white women's support for Kemp dropped from the high 60s to about 63% of the vote over the last month. And that's something he's, he's going to be very carefully watching. It's also something that could affect a slate of down ticket races, including those two U.S. House contests we're watching. Yeah, that was what I was going to mention next. You've seen uh, very much kind of a, the different way that, that a lot of these Republican House incumbents have been running this year. Um, whereas you, you've seen a lot of rural Republicans campaigning openly with Trump and with Kemp and embracing a lot of his more um, populist positions, um, you're seeing people like Karen Handel in, um, in the North Atlanta suburbs kind of carefully creating some distance between herself and, and some of those positions, not on things like, you know, economic issues like like the tax cuts, but you're seeing it more on things like immigration. Um, so that's going to be something we're closely watching tomorrow night. You have two Democrats in the North Atlanta suburbs challenging Handel and, and Rob Woodall, um, who have really focused a lot of their campaigns on health care. Um, but also on things like gun control and immigration. And it'll be very interesting to see if they're able to get anywhere close to, to Woodall and Handel. These are districts that before Trump came around, those Republicans were winning easily by 20 percentage points. Um, but Trump only narrowly won both of them. So it'll be a very interesting test of that. Yeah, and we've said this since late last year, since after John Ossoff uh, lost to Karen Handel on the 6th District race, that the closer race this year um, even close in the 6th District could, could well be the 7th District in neighboring Gwinnett County um, because Gwinnett County has changed so much. And in these, and Carolyn Bordeaux, the Democrat, has run a very uh, robust campaign and really giving Rob Woodall, the incumbent Republican, a run for his money. Uh, literally, he <laughs> a run for his money because um, up until just a few days ago, he hadn't even run his first TV ad. And so he went on air just a few days ago with a sort of closing message. But I've talked to a lot of Republicans who are getting a little squeamish about that race. Exactly. And, and the centerpiece of Bordeaux's campaign, she's a professor at Georgia State University, but she said she entered that race because of frustration with the GOP's Obamacare repeal efforts. She talks a lot about the struggle that her, her father had paying for his medical bills, and she has hammered Woodall relentlessly on his vote to repeal the Affordable Care Act. She's especially talked a lot about pre-existing conditions uh, of protections as part of Obamacare, which insurers are now required to, to cover without extra fees for folks and um, really put Woodall on the defensive on a lot of this stuff. Him and Karen Handel in the 6th District have been forced to kind of uh, take a step back and, and defend themselves and also um, kind of show that they're supportive of, of these protections. This is a big change from even a few years ago when Republicans could just 100% say they want to get rid of everything Obamacare and everything it stands for. Um, so that'll be another factor we're closely watching tomorrow. We're not hearing um, as much, nearly as much, from Republicans, uh, you know, who four, six, even two years ago, uh, trumpeted the fact that they voted X many times to repeal Obamacare. And in the governor's race, 
and this is huge too because Stacey Abrams, the start and finish of her of her pitch, you know, the opening message and closing message has been about expanding Medicaid, which she kind of uses to to balance out her her views. I mean, she has a lot of progressive views, but she she feels like this one is a mainstream one, one that polls show a majority of Georgian support. And you're not going to hear as much about that with Brian Kemp. He opposes Medicaid expansion, but he won't go. He, he does not make that the centerpiece of any of his health care arguments even. He talks more about lowering insurance premiums and working with the federal government for some sort of waiver. Um, but it's a, it's a tricky scenario in the statewide races as well. Exactly. And, and the reason you're seeing this kind of shift a little bit from Republicans is just because of a change in, in polling nationally. For the longest time, Obamacare was deeply unpopular, starting in, in 2009 when Democrats were trying to, to pass the law. Um, you saw all the angry town halls in 2010 that, that kind of ushered in the Tea Party wave and helped Republicans capture control of Congress. Um, but all of that has shifted um, last year once the, the Republicans tried to repeal Obamacare. I think a lot of people realized, oh, well, there are certain things about the law that we actually really like. And that's put Republicans, especially in, in kind of suburban, tighter districts, in, in a tough place. Exactly. The other big wild card that there is a lot of watching tomorrow is the third party candidates, particularly libertarian Ted Metz, who in our latest poll is below 2%. He's about 1.6%. But hey, 1.6% in a very close race could be enough to throw this thing into a December 4th runoff between Abrams and Kemp. And if you think we're getting a lot of attention already, imagine being pretty much the only big ticket race on the calendar that weekend in December uh, you know, we might see Obama back down here. We might see Trump back down here. We might see a whole cast of other national figures down here. And we'll certainly see even more money spent. What's already the most expensive race, gubernatorial race in Georgia history, topping out. Our colleague J- James Solzer has a story in today's, in Monday's paper saying, cost $100 million all told when you, when you account for all sorts of outside spending and all the candidates' money. $100 million race could get even more expensive if we go into overtime. Oh, yeah. It'll be like last year's six district race all over again, except all, all statewide and during Thanksgiving, even better. Um, but, but in order to avoid a runoff, one candidate has to get, uh, we should say, 50 percent of the vote plus one. So a majority of the vote. Um, and, and right now we've seen in a string of polls, uh, both Abrams and Kemp not only kind of running close together, but neither one of them topping 50 percent. So Metz's uh, support could really make a difference here. And this is also important for a lot of down ticket races because the libertarian share of the vote tends to go up the further down the ballot you get. Um, so that means that you know, if Ted Metz only gets one or two percent of the vote, you're, you could have a, a third party candidate to get four or five or six percent of the vote, let's say in a secretary of state race or a public service commission race or any of these other down ticket races, lending, increasing, heightening the possibility of a December 4th runoff, even if Abrams or Kemp avoids one, December 4th runoff for a PSC race or secretary of state race that will get lots less national attention, but certainly will still get a share of Georgia attention too, because you know, it could very well be a, 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 a big chance for Democrats to seize a statewide uh, office. Oh, yeah. It never ends. Yep. Well, and, and I was going to say, November 7th, Wednesday, starts the whole next round, essentially, a 2020 race with David Perdue up for re-election. And um, if Democrats even get a point closer than, than Trump got, so even if, even if Democrats lose by, let's say, four points, which, which you know, polls show it much closer than that, but even if Democrats lose by four points, there'll be a whole new round of media attention on Georgia being 
a potential 2020 battleground state because the margins have been cut steadily from way back when Mitt Romney and John McCain run the state with, with a big margin to five points with Trump to whatever it might be um, Tuesday with, with Camp or Abrams. Yeah, there's quite a few Democrats who we've been talking to who are very closely watching how Abrams does tomorrow because, you know, she like we mentioned at the top of the podcast, she's run a much different kind of statewide campaign than what we've seen from previous uh, Democrats. So if, if people see that her kind of more liberal tack toward the base, if that works better than being a kind of centrist Democrat has worked in past years, I think we're going to see more of a shift in that direction going forward, perhaps in this David Perdue race, but we could also see it in other other statewide and, and even congressional races as well. Any predictions on Tuesday's result tomorrow? I have learned better than to do that. How about you? <laughs> I'll say just broadly, and this doesn't say that Abrams or Kemp will win or that, or that there'll be a runoff, but broadly, I, I, I sense sort of a blue wave with a red undertow. And, and uh, Chicago Mayor Rahm Emanuel kind of coined that. But I, I think that, that that might be what we what we see um, a little bit of here. You're seeing a lot of Democratic turnout. You're seeing numbers go higher. Will it be enough for Stacey Abrams to win outright or force a runoff? We're not sure, but what I can sense out there, um, and we'll find out tomorrow if that's true, what I can sense is a lot of Democratic support in areas that used to be Republican strongholds, and I'm talking about the suburbs. So what we could see is um, we could still see a Brian Kemp uh, narrowly avoid a, a runoff or, or Stacey Abrams narrowly uh, win this race outright, but a lot of Republican losses in those suburbs, um, state house seats, maybe a U.S. house, maybe maybe you know the seventh district like we were talking about earlier, um, a few state senate seats, and just a lot more attention. I think no matter what happens, unless unless Republicans exceed expectations and end up winning by a healthy margin, uh, a lot more emphasis on 2020 and Georgia being a legit battleground state. So we're going to have some job security over the next couple of years, I think, no matter what happens. Oh, yeah. And we'll be back tomorrow where we'll be kind of analyzing some of the election results as they come in, too. So we will know a lot more then. You got tomorrow. Where are you going to be um, on election night? I will be in our headquarters in Atlanta. I will be live blogging a lot of the election results. So hopefully I'll be able to kind of provide more of that 30,000 foot level, looking at a lot of the different statewide and, and, and uh, congressional races. How about you? I will be with Brian Kemp in Athens. We'll have a reporter, Tia Mitchell, who's been doing a fantastic job on the campaign trail for us uh, with Stacey Abrams in Atlanta. And we'll also have reporters fanned out and to other campaign headquarters all over the state. We're going to have reporters uh, about Karen Handel and Lisa McBath, HQs, also with uh, with Rob Woodall and Carolyn Bordeaux, and we'll have county reporters watching those very close state house races and down ticket races as well from our from our capital colleagues. So we're going to have you covered on all fronts. Uh, but make sure you check out tomorrow's live blog because it's going to it's going to be like sort of a one stop shop for a lot of the uh, a lot of the, the news all around the state. Get a lot of coffee, Greg. Woo, I'm about to get some right now. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, that's all for this week's edition of the Politically Georgia podcast. Head to AJC.com forward slash politics to subscribe to Politically Georgia. You'll get access to our daily newsletter, along with all of our stories and updates on all things Georgia politics. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and rate us. It really means a lot to us when you do. 
And as always, thank you for listening. Hip hop is a product of black people. It's a product of black song and celebration. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution presents Hip hop's most pulled elements are pulled from the South. A Southern hip hop store. We always go back to that moment of the Source Awards. Everybody wants your rhythm, but they don't want your blues. The biggest names in hip-hop. Atlanta is still the mecca for hip-hop. 50 years. No one can deny. One film. The power of the South now. The South got something to say. Streaming now at AJC.com slash hip-hop. Our journalists at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution are working around the clock to keep you updated on all the developments surrounding the Trump indictment. Now the AJC is putting all of our coverage in one place with our new Trump 19 newsletter. Every Wednesday, you'll have our latest coverage and analysis on this historic case in your inbox. So sign up for free today at AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. That's all one word. AJC.com slash indictment newsletter.